0: It is 1845, and if the coin toss had gone the other way, you'd be bitching about New Boston right about now. This is some Kick-Ass Oregon History. Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the geeked-out history folks at orhistory.com. I'm your host, Andy Lindberg, and under the guidance of resident historian Doug Kank Crispin, we profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. Kick-Ass Oregon History is a presentation of ORhistory.com and is supported by listeners like you. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit ORhistory.com and click donate. How many times have you heard people grumbling about New Portland and bemoaning the loss of their beloved Old Portland? What the hell does that mean? When people say Old Portland, it certainly implies geographic location and an unspecified time in the past, but certainly there's more than that. Author Heather Arndt Anderson says Old Portland was less shiny and more real. Willamette Week's Becky Olson calls it funny, tragic, morally complicated, cheap, beautiful and seedy, scrappy and dirty. Thrillist's Dan Schlegel said Old Portland was a grungier Northwest town that never wanted fame or splendor or their beloved quirks to be showcased in a nationally renowned sketch comedy TV show. Historian J.B. Fisher gave us his take on Old Portland.
1: Well, Old Portland for me is kind of pretty much the early 1990s because that's when I was really, when I was a college student here really into the music scene um so old portland to me is like the x-ray cafe church of elvis thinking about how much um was starting to really happen in portland and i don't want to say there wasn't stuff happening before but like in the restaurant scene um and it's funny because i went to reed college and a lot of the kind of initial wave of a lot of that like restaurant beer all that a lot of that came out of reed college alumni people who had gone on to like open breweries like gigantic or or distilleries or various other kinds of things and then and restaurants so so old portland to me is kind of that stuff it's a you know i think about like trace shannon i don't think of voodoo donuts i think about a guy who was running for mayor and who was this really charismatic sort of proprietor of this amazing spot where all these bands were playing and all kinds of things were going on um i also think about um some of the the more i guess it was i I wouldn't call it 1.0 because obviously we had like the PSU stuff and park blocks and everything earlier on, but like you know that was during the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, so I was involved in like protests downtown, and that bit kind rude of thing. stuff, little Beirut stuff, the um, guerrilla theater of the absurd where you had like Dan Quayle visiting and some of my classmates at Reed going over and throwing up. They called themselves the Reverse Peristalsis Painters. So that kind of quirky shit, um, which obviously Portland still has quirkiness, but back then I feel like there was a there was just definitely a um, an openness about it that. It feels like it's a little bit more sequestered now.
2: This is resident historian Doug Kent Crispin, and I am on the west bank of the Willamette River right now in downtown Portland. I'm standing on the seawall at the end of Harvey Milk Street, and in front of me is an interpretive display, and across the top it says, The
0: Clearing. What the hell does that mean? Well, let us tell you. In the 1830s, the Clearing was a quiet little stop over on the west bank of the Willamette River. It was about an acre in size and relatively clear of trees. Trappers and traders traveled the 30 river miles between the Little Burg of Oregon City and the weighty Columbia outpost of the Hudson's Bay Company, Fort Vancouver. Native Americans had utilized the space as a camp location. The Clearing was a known pit stop on the Willamette River where native folk, or the pink people when they came along, might pull over their canoe and start a fire. You'd have some lunch, smoke a pipe, and maybe take a little nap. Pulking firs, alders, and cottonwoods came right down to the shoreline. Native peoples have lived around the confluence of the Columbia, Willamette, and Sandy Rivers for over 10,000 years. These spaces around present-day Portland were very well populated. A fine example was the Multnomah village on Sovis Island. In the early 1800s, this community hosted hundreds, if not thousands, of people. It was known to voyaging Euro-Americans as a place where they could obtain fat and tasty dogs for a filling repast. Mm, mm. Waves of epidemics, smallpox. Measles and malaria destroyed the native populations by the time the pink people figured out that the clearing would be a grand location to tie up their boats. But the native peoples aren't gone. Today, Portland, Oregon hosts the ninth largest urban Native American population in the country. In 1840, when he saw the clearing, Captain John Cooch felt it would be a good spot for a seaport. For any vessel which can come to the Columbia can come this far up the Willamette. But that was about all the clearing had to offer at that time. In 1843, Jesse Applegate visited the site of the clearing when he was a child. We landed on the west shore and went into camp on the high bank where there was little underbrush. No one lived there, and the place had no name. There was nothing to show that the place had ever been visited, except a small log hut near the river and a broken mast of a ship leaning against the high bank. There were chips hewn from timber, showing that probably a new mast had been made there. We were then actually encamped on the site of the city of Portland, but there was no prophet with us to tell us of the beautiful city that was to take the place of that gloomy forest. There is some debate about the first structure built at the Clearing. Two historians have two different views. Hmm, imagine that. Miles Porter says, In 1842, William Johnson built a log cabin for his Indian wife and children near what is now Southwest McAdam Avenue and Curry Street. But Eugene Snyder says the first was a log cabin that went up in the winter of 1844-1845 when Francis Pettigrove and Asa Lovejoy had a log store put up at Washington Street and the river. Carpenter John Waymire was hired for the task. He was nearly evicted from this project by the bloodthirsty mosquitoes and the fleas all awaiting him in the clearing. As you likely know by now, the formal name of the then Buggy Little Campsite was debated by Asa Lovejoy and Francis Pettigrove, their discussions were inconclusive. So, they flipped a penny. We now present the Kick-Ass Oregon History Players Audio Reenactment of that famous 1845 fateful coin flip recorded in the actual place, actually on the porch just through the window because the building was closed, the actual place in Oregon City where the coin toss happened. We go there now. Ace of Lovejoy, you, uh, we should call it Boston, Hey, eh? Huh? Portland. You're, you're a prick, Pettigrove. You're a fucking prick. Portland. No, Boston. How you like them apples? Portland. Well, we better toss a coin then. Here we are at the Urban Ginger House. Beautiful house here and... Oregon City 1845. It's 1845. We feel necessary to speak the date out loud. Oh, I've got I've got a coin. Sticky. I say Boston. Portland. Boston. We'll, we'll flip a coin for it. Sounds good to me. All right, heads, it's Boston. tails. It's whatever you wanted. Portland. Coins up in the air. Hey. It's heads, It's heads. <laughs> You got to so you, then you got to go no best two out of three <laughs> no best Dude, two you got to participate in this <laughs> best two Love. out of three petty grove <laughs> all right so far it's going to be boston toss tails, tails! Oh, oh, no. all right two out of three <laughs> you officious little twat all right here we go final final coin toss whether we're going to name that place up the river Portland or Boston. Hey. of Boston. Tails! Shit. <laughs> Fuck you, Patty Grove. <laughs> no one will ever live there. And if they do, they'll just complain. And that's how it happened. Reenactment. in 1845 the newly christened portland offered the settler four streets and 16 blocks that had been cleared and platted a 50 by 100 foot lot was pretty cheap and if you agreed to put up a cabin on it it might even be free in the summer of 1846 there were 60 people in portland and 100 the summer after that one observer saw oldest Portland as a ragged hamlet of log cabins and rude board houses hewn or whipsawed from the forest. But another correspondent described 1847 Portland as a pleasant and flourishing village, noting that it had the air of newness, thrift, and industry. In 1847, the forest began at Second Street but there were two or three small cabins under the big trees on 3rd Street. Bears and cougars loitered around what would be today's 6th Street. By June of 1850, a visitor noted that Portland has boomed, but the streets still remained innocent of sidewalks and the tree stumps in them were numerous. About 800 people lived in Portland in 1850. Four years later, there were some wooden plank sidewalks. But there was not a street regularly graded, and it was dangerous going about at night anywhere in the city without a lantern in your hand to see the holes in the stumps. Stumps in the street were painted white to aid nocturnal navigation. When it rained, as it seemingly always has here in green and lush Portland, the mud in the streets would be quite deep, and the consistency of A very good batter. By the time Portland was incorporated as a city in 1851, it was described as a raw and disheveled place, gangling and awkward in this spurt of its first growth. There were about a hundred and twenty single-story buildings, boxy and many painted white in addition to a few older log structures. Six or eight saloons were right in the midst, and some native people's homes were on the periphery of the town. Wood stoves were used for cooking and heat, and thick smoke consistently clung over the community. Hearing about this oldest Portland, you can hear how much it changed in just its first 10 or 15 years. But that's a consistent thread in Portland's history. Portland keeps changing. By the 1860s, Portland was a winter resort for practically all the Northwestern miners and trappers. Money was easy, and the town was wide open. Indians were a common sight, and occasioned no comment. Fights and street brawls occurred without official molestation at all hours, both day and night. (laughs) It was a struggling and straggling village. When you hear bitching and moaning about New Portland, one of the top complaints is always the rent. That has remained consistent throughout the many old Portlands. Rent was often a gripe. A few examples. 1868 You will find that there are no discernible houses to rent. The great and increasing growth and improvement of our city is no chimera. 1871. The exhibit proves conclusively, in the most appreciable manner, the rapid strides of our city towards wealth and greatness. Rents are justly pronounced enormous. 1890. It is not an exaggeration to say that Portland, East Portland and Albina are growing so rapidly as to be unable to provide homes for the thousands of newcomers. The moniker Old Portland has changed over the decades and has meant different things to different generations. Old Portland became an unofficial geographic name in the late 1880s, early 1890s. It denoted the area that today we might call downtown and old town. A 1908 orator designated a space near the Skidmore Fountain, that hazy region near which the sailing ships lie in the heart of the wholesale district. This was old Portland, disparate from East Portland and Albina, which would be absorbed into one giant Portland in 1891. And this specific classification hung on for quite a while. In 1917, the geographic Old Portland was again signified as near the river and in the territory generally south of Morrison Street. So Old Portland then referred to the oldest of civic constructions on the west side of the river. It didn't refer to that more amorphous feeling, that je ne sais Portland, of culture, lifestyle, or other things no longer here that we think of today. In the 1900s, the wistfulness for old Portland was seen as kind of a backwards hick thing. New Portland, as it were, was evolution, growth, modernity, and improvement. In July of 1906, an article proclaimed that the old Multnomah block on the southeast corner of 5th and Morrison was to be torn down. A 10-story steel structure was to go in the frame building's place. The author noted four other wooden frame buildings that had been torn down that year as well. The failing building on 5th and Alder, the Sweatland and Buchanan buildings on Washington near 5th, and the Wells Fargo building to boot. But the author spoke of the loss of these three historic buildings as, being torn down to make room for the fine office buildings and business blocks which are necessitated by the city's rapid growth. The destruction of these old buildings in 1906, remember, was progress, so I'm not sure if it was with nostalgia or pride that this same author concluded, from present indications, It will be but a comparatively few years when metropolitan Portland will entirely have superseded old Portland with its frame buildings in the heart of the business section. No bitching about condos or boutique hotels. No longing for old Portland, perceived. So out with the old and in with the new Portland. A few years later, more newness hit Portland at the southeast corner of 7th and Stark. This was the location of the eight story tall expansion of the Imperial Hotel, or today's Hotel Lucia. The ground is now covered by small frame structures of little value and the coming of the new and modern building will crowd out forever another of the landmarks of old Portland. In 1909, Portland's population surpassed 250,000 residents. Portland was a real, live city. The most conservative resident, if honest and fair, must admit that the old Portland has passed away, and a metropolis with all the requirements and demands of the 20th century city is with us. New Portland was a good thing 110 years ago. This is Andy Lindberg, Cub Reporter for Kick-Ass Oregon History. And I'm here with uh, Portland Empresario, Kevin Michael Moore, who is the administrator for the Dead Memories Portland Facebook group. Um, Kevin, what? tell us a little bit about the Dead Memories group and how that came to be. Okay. Um, well, I... Uh...
3: I had ran a record store in Hawthorne through the late 80s to the late 90s, and, and, uh, and it went away. <laughs> and at one point, Bird Sweet Records was the name of the record store, a great record store, best job I will have ever had. Um, but it went away, and I just could not find a picture of it anywhere. And, and, and it became a point where I was like, I, I can't believe no one took a picture of this record store. It it, it was an I- iconic place right next to the Baghdad Theater and, mm-hmm. and big Charlie Parker in the window. People remember it really well, but there were no pictures taken of it. So um, I just got on, it was early days of Facebook, and I got on Facebook and went, you know what, I'll just create a group to see if someone can't find a picture of that record store. And that's where Dead Memories started from. And we and I started getting loads of pictures of, of that, and then I started realizing, well, there's a ton of places I can't remember. Or I yeah. sort of remember, but I'd sure like to get a picture of them in my head. I'd like to see the interior of the of, of the men's room at SatyraCon. I'd, I'd spent many times in there. I would like to see what it looked it Yes. Remember what it looked like. So... This group kind of comes together, and and now, thirty thousand people in the group. Really,
0: thirty thousand members.
3: It, well, they're not always all active. Sure. But, but there are hundreds of people on that in that group every day, and now I go in there basically to fix problems, you know, to stop trolling.
0: So, and, so talk about that. What are what kind of problems come up in a Facebook group of pictures of old Portland?
3: Well, people get on there, and then they like to... I mean, Portland's had some tragic history, some very racist past stuff. Yeah. And then people want to post a picture of the Coon Chicken Inn, and then it's already been posted many times, but that's just like an avenue to just start all of this, like... Then you realize who you've got. When you've got that many people in the group, you start to realize, oh, they're not all just like me. They're all different kinds of people who have all different kinds of problems and different ideologies, and some of those are not very nice. So you kind of weed the
0: so so breakdown. that's interesting. So you've got so you know, of course, you we can break it out by you know, boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, all that sort of thing. What do you think that that nostalgia experience that posting experience does for each of the different kind of demographics
3: I tend to think it falls back to the same um, pleasant feeling that I get when I see something that I haven't seen in so long and with so many people posting pictures so, so long I'm sure that we have the largest collection of photographs at Portland period. I don't think anyone's collected near as many. There's a h- hundreds of thousands of pictures in that group. Really? And it's at the point now where I can't even add people to the I mean to add people to the group, I have to vet them all and it's just ooh, lugubrious. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> and
3: time consuming. Yes. And I do it like in a big mass and then I have to get all the robots out of there. Yeah. But, um, the, for me I, I tend to think nostalgia is 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 a it's a it's a, a dopamine it 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 makes you feel good to reminisce about things that were pleasant to you or um, it also sparks um, uh, conversations about things that were unpleasant to you during this time period um, uh, tons and tons of pictures of of uh, uh, Mount St. Helens blowing up sparks tons and tons of stories about what happened to people during those days in Portland, and we're shoveling <laughs> ash off of our lawns, and uh, and I think that's that's really the core of what people get out of being nostalgic is they get that that rush of a good feeling that. Mm-hmm. That you um, and and so many times, you a picture will come up, and I'll just go, "Dang, I totally forgot about that place!"
0: And yeah, there it is. Do you find people mainly telling stories in the first person? Yeah, mostly. Yeah, mostly. So they're recounting their their own personal experience, right? Right. It's very certainly in the case of the Dead Memories group it's a very specific lane of gripe that it's not just you know our country's going to heck it's foster between 33rd and or I guess Foster doesn't run to 33rd. what happened to but division you, yes yes
3: you go away for 5 minutes it's suddenly not the same place at all that it was yes and it's it well in this city literally has really changed so much in the last 10 years that it 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 startles older people that were that were set in the ways that Mm -hmm. it used to be and
0: when when people either on your walking tours or in the 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 Facebook group when they are talking about old Portland Mm -hmm. what are the kinds of things that what's old Portland? Old well
3: it depends on your age I suppose um I think Portland had a, 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 hay, a, a recent heyday within the last 20 years. That, uh, during the whole time of, the, uh, of, of Seattle's grunge explosion and that happening in Portland, I was running that record store through that whole time period. And so I watched Portland get put on the map. And, and when that ended, it wasn't too much later we got Portlandia. Which again kept us on the map mm-hmm. um, but I think that when people are nostalgic for Portland that aren't elderly, they go back to that grunge l- m- mid to late eighties mid to uh mid to early nineties that ten period at, uh-huh. at ten years where any night someone could become a star you know and and
0: and uh, so that's like that's Gen X nostalgia yeah Yeah.
3: and maybe that's just me because I was so involved in it during Mm -hmm. that time period but the things that get posted on the website a a ton are things from that time period the Hmm. Satyricon nightclub La Luna um tons of music venues that don't exist anymore um uh, and then you go back a little bit further than that, and, and um, it really comes down to p- people are nostalgic about businesses and buildings and, and, yeah. and, and restaurants. The, the train
0: at, at Myron Frank. The train at Myron yeah. Frank.
3: The um, uh, Henry Thiele's. Thiele's?
0: Thiele? Thiele, yeah, Thiele's? Thiele's. Yeah, Thiele's.
3: I think so. I think I say that right. Thiele's Every time Thiele's? I say it, it and comes Thiele's? out of my mouth. I'm yeah. like, I, I, I think I only went to that restaurant once. Yep. But I remember seeing it all the time. Um, well, the, sweet, you know,
0: it's the, the new place is there. It's, it's Thiele Square. So there's, you know, they've oh, at least acknowledged that there the, was something there. There was something there. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, but there was an excitement to Portland. There's a reason why... Um, uh, Voodoo Donuts came up in the time period when it did is because that also can be directly attached to rock and roll and mm-hmm. and uh, trace uh, being a music venue owner at the time and um but that just kind of all propels us into this time period where it's like Keep Portland Weird comes out. And yeah, what is that what does that mean now? Well, it means very little. I, I have a lot of philosophies about what's happened to the weirdness bubble in Portland. I think <laughs> what happened was, is that Portland was... First off, we don't get that... T- we get that that slogan from Austin.
0: Yes, yes. That's, it's that's, not even original. We
3: were the first to steal it, though. So
0: there's 17
3: <laughs> yes. cities advertising yes. keep their city weird. We're yeah. the second one. But um, during that time period, Portland certainly was weird. There were very eccentric people. There was... Um, a time when there was one hula hoop guy at Saturday Market, now they are legion. <laughs> and now it's just gone too far, where it's just like, well, now you can't just be a hula hoop guy. You've got to have a Darth Vader mask on and ride a unicycle. See, and, even, and it's even go. right
0: now, you're you're talking about how great old Portland used to be. I love it.
3: <laughs> and, and that's when it started to get bad, though, because we got to the point where it's like, okay, now you're trying to be weird. Yeah. And there's a difference between actually being weird, um, like the gal <laughs> that ran uh, the 24-hour Church of Elvis, legitimately strange lady. Um, she wasn't trying at all; she just was strange. Yes. And and uh, we went from that to this trying to be strange, and now we've gotten past the bubble of it all, where it's like, longtime residents of Portland are tired of you if you are trying to be weird we are over it we are past it if you're genuinely weird then we might be a little afraid of you mm-hmm. but we're not going to be it, we're just not enthusiastic about the weirdness I mean, like,
0: where does where does where does this nostalgia go this this old Portland thinking
3: I, I don't know it's one of the things about the Facebook group like at one point I tried to thinking well, I spend so much time doing this so I should I <laughs> should monetize it in some way but it I think we did count cal- we did calendars for a few years and uh-huh. it just kind of is a lot of work and it broke us even and it was like, you know what? this is just like a service. Yeah. there's really no it, it it started off as a hobby and like I say now, I'll jump on there if I see a particular picture that I go, wow, that's really great mm-hmm. um and I'm really into i'm if old photographs are uh, i'm I love them and so um and that and to you know kick off the racist guy who's being a jerk to the grandma who's just wants to tell her story about the little restaurant she used to own on Foster. Yeah. Um but I I I don't think there's any end to it. I think it really comes down to that satis- that satisfying that need um to we all need to remember it's like watching a tv show you Mm -hmm. haven't you know watching gilligan's island probably haven't i either of us have probably not watched that television show in 30 years but if it came on and we started watching it there would be this feeling of ah comfort i have a you know yeah, and I think that's all that people get out of nostalgia. I think I, I really think it's that it, it's like so many things give you dopamine, you know. Mm-hmm. so you're, you learn that through your life, and it's like we're little, creatures you know, of happy drugs. Yes, it really is. We want our or we want things to be happy, um, but then there are also a number of people that want to get that vehemence out of them too. That 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 there's there's that satisfaction comes into it as well that like this was atrocious that this happened yes yeah, so
0: they, they need to express their their anger uh, and disappointment that this thing is gone
3: yeah um, and or in and in a lot of ways it's things that are gonna go that'll get a lot I mean yeah no I at one point I tell you I was it, it was it got me down especially being kind of the guy in charge of finding all the things that were gone I spent tons of hours just going through pictures and going through pictures and posting them and posting them. And I probably posted 5,000 pictures when I first started the group. And it was like every day I come home, get online, just start looking for pictures of things. And then posting and posting. And that's really what. when I realized, oh, well now I've got 250 people that are doing... And now, you know, and... uh And it it started to, especially when things really started to change, like um, uh, Cooch, Cooch and Twelfth, when all of the businesses in that area got leveled and all these giant skyscrapers started coming in. And now... It feels like it, all of the things they told us that Portland wasn't going to have where it felt like the skyscrapers were falling in on you. Mm-hmm. The reason why they have to be topped at a certain level and they have to be tapered at the top. If they, it, it, there's reasons for that. And it's all because um, of, God, I forget the name of it. There's a term for it, but it's uh, um, a canyoning. Yes. That's the word. And now we've got that all over the place, mm-hmm. especially you go down... Uh, Cooch and 12th to to the Burnside Bridge that whole little area feels like you're just, it's encroaching
0: yeah and then over in the Northwest Industrial Area um, yeah as you get closer to what the probably the Teens and um, Thurman around in that area there's some big tall buildings
3: but it, it started in, in, it, in that during, when that stuff started to happen maybe five years ago um, I was really at a point where I was like, "God, this is kind of bad for me to run this group because it's putting me in this like negative mindset." I'm like constantly going by places and going, "Okay, that that's going okay." But you know what? I do that. I realized later on, I would have done that without the site anyway. I would have done that on my yes, own. Yes. And um, and literally, it. it it just gives a specific voice to uh, nostalgia and Portland. The the group does, um, and and I also started to realize, you know, that Portland's Portland's gone through this so many different times. I mean, you know, um, early '60s, the city completely changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, 70s, we start getting skyscrapers and everything had to change. I was around, but not can't really remember all of it. But and how many how many times are we gonna see the white stag sign, you know, change, rebranded, yeah, rebranded. And thank God it didn't go to University of Oregon. It was going to like it's Eugene.
0: It's not even our town. (laughs) It's like no. Well, it's like Portland's this like I, like a lot of cities are it's, a, it's become a combination of historic preservation and modernity and of course modernity changes you know that what there's uh, a number of houses that I see that uh, 40 years ago when they were built were of the modern style right. but now what people want is something that looks like a craftsman so they tear down the single level ranch and they put in a house that is mimicking what the single level ranch <laughs> tore down and right.
3: replaced. In the first place, yeah. And boxy condos. Big boxy. In the, Portland's just going to struggle until it starts to realize that the All of the new people moving into Portland aren't uber wealthy and can afford these places.
2: Welcome, dear ass kicker, to Portland fucking Oregon, the land of change. I'm recording this sermon in front of Cameron's books, which may be no more very soon. But as you've heard, this is a constant theme in the City of Roses. In 1909, the loss of Cameron's would have been considered progress. Old Portland was disposable. By 1951, though, some lamentations were recorded. The new Portlander has little love for the old. He is doing his utmost to wipe out the beauty that comes from dignified old age. So as you can see in 1951, they must have been talking about an old Portland from the 1930s. And when we lament Camerons, we're pining for an old Portland from maybe the 1970s or the 1980s. And of course, there's J.B. Fisher's old Portland.
1: But when you date old Portland? Like 1991, '93, something
2: like that. So right there, we have three old Portlands from three disparate time periods. All are equally valid in geography and in oldness. But what about you? Is Little Bird closing down a sigil of your own private old Portland? Henry's Tavern in the old Henry Weinhart building? Or maybe the tonsorial parlor at Huber's? Or the food cart pod where Escape from New York Pizza used to be? Because ultimately, your older own private old Portland might sound kind of lame and trite when considered with the other old Portlands before, but who fucking cares? As a Portlander, it's your God-given right to bitch about New Portland, however fresh and young your old Portland may be.
3: I'm much too fast to take that test. ch 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 changes. Turn and face the strange ch- ch- changes. changes. Don't wanna be a richer man. Ch- 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 changes.
0: Thank you for listening, Ass Kickers, and be on the lookout for future podcasts from orhistory.com. We hope that you agree that today's episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Doug Cank Crispin and Andy Lindberg. Citations are available on request. Kick-Ass Oregon History is on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. Follow us on Instagram, at kickassoregonhistory. We're also on the Facebook. The email address is OregonHistorian@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Want more kick Oregon History in your life? Become a podcast supporter. Learn more at orhistory.com. Just don't get too close to Mr. Kent Crispin. <laughs> you officious little twat. You stay Historic Oregon and kick ass. ORhistory.com